Hey everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to my very first podcast, What's Your Story? My name's Melody and I'm really excited that you are here today with me. Um, before I get into my first guest, I'm going to spend a few minutes and have a quick conversation with you regarding why am I doing this and what's the name of the podcast, like what does it mean, what's your story? So a few years ago, I want to say maybe seven or eight years ago, I got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. MS is a super, super unfun disease. Now, I don't know if that's a medical term, a technical term, but it's my term, so I'm going to go with it. It's really, really difficult. But through the journey of talking about MS or going to clinic or sometimes my symptoms are just super, super obvious, I've had many people have conversations with me about their own lives. And it's been incredible the amount of people who have lived with trauma and sorrow and injustice and heartache, but yet have lived life well. They have lived life with joy. They have thrived. They have done life well. And they don't have a platform to talk on because, you know, they're not celebrities. They're no one fancy. Um, they don't have a verification check mark next to their name. So there's no one to hear their stories. So what I wanted to do was give people a platform, just your average, everyday people who have lived life and lived it well, surrounded by whatever circumstances that is unfun for them. So that's really what this podcast is. It's going to be funny. It's going to be sad. It's going to be tears. It's going to be joy. It's going to be real. And I think in a nutshell, that's pretty much what it is. It's just going to be real. Now, in full transparency and disclosure, no, that's not the word. Disclosure. Disclosure is the word I'm going for. Um, I am 100% a Jesus follower. I worship God. I talk to him daily. I'm in his word. And, you know, yeah, I'm 100% believe in God. Now, while I will be speaking through the lens of my own spiritual journey sometimes, that is not all what this is about. Um, I'll be speaking to people from every walks of life and, yeah, but I just wanted to let you know that that's, you know, that will be coming into it. So I'm going to talk about my story for the first podcast because I think that that's probably the best way to get a bit of background before I start introducing um, different guests. So if I'm going to talk about my story, I cannot do it <laughs> without my best friend in the whole wide world, Michelle, who has been with me through every single thing. And yeah, she's kind of my person now, Michelle. Hello, Melly. Thank you for coming. And I know you didn't have a choice. No, I did not. No? I know. I went, Michelle, you're my best friend in the wide world. Please be on my very first podcast. And you went, oh. <laughs> of course I will. Yes. With joy. Yeah, with joy. Because that's who you are. So I need to be really clear. Michelle and I go back, actually a long way. When did we first meet? Yep, the first day of kindergarten for both of our oldest children. Yeah, and they're in second year uni now. That's right, so 15 years ago or so. Yeah, so um, now I need to set the picture for you. Uh, Michelle was very, very preggers. Very pregnant, very tired and hot and heavy and... Uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. <laughs> and sweaty. Did we bring up sweaty? Sweaty. I don't know if we bought like up sweaty. Like a whale in oh. the middle of a... Playground, Ashfelt Playground. Thing now, for those who aren't listening in Australia, January is hot, hot, hot. hot. So we start our school in January, and it is hot. The end of January is uncomfortably, evilly hot. And Michelle was very, very pregnant. So I walked up to her in the orientation when everyone was having their cups of tea, and I think I was gracious and kind and loving and beautiful, and looked at you and went, "Oh goodness, I'm glad I'm not you." <laughs> seat is some 
water? Do you need a fan? <laughs> or do you just need to give birth? <laughs> <laughs> Which I did three days later. Yes. <laughs> so uh, little did we know that um, it would be me. Cooper was born, like I fell pregnant with Cooper just a little bit later after that. And, um, yeah. You were hot and pregnant. <sighs> The next summer. No, <laughs> your sympathy levels weren't great either. Um, do you remember? <laughs> so we've pretty much been together since then. Um, we, okay, so, <laughs> I need to explain this to our listeners. So you know the meme going around, there's some people who you can't take to a funeral? Yep. Yeah. Michelle's the person to take. I'm the one that you can't take. <laughs> and people, You're a little bit naughty. No, would we go that far? <laughs> no. no. I'd take you to a funeral. Would you? I would. Oh, you're so dumb. Do we have a funeral? Like, no. no. There's no funeral. There's no funeral. Um, There's but, no hypothetical funeral. But I would take Thank you. you. You're so kind. Thank you so much. So we have been together for a very long time. Um, and so I'm going to talk about this whole MS thing. Michelle has been with me in hospital. She yes. broke me out of hospital. Yes. And we will get into that. <laughs> So I'll spend a few minutes and go through my story about how I found out I had a mess. So um, it was January, I want to say, man, 2014, 15? Oh, oh no. It was around there. No one cares. I've got a mess. I got it. It's like, <laughs> move on. So I was at work. It was January and I started to lose the eyesight in my left eye. Now I... Um, Decided to go to the chemist because that's kind of what I do. Going to the doctor just wasn't my thing. So I went to the chemist and I'm like, oh, I've just got a dry eye. I went to the Cairo. The next day I'd lost like more vision in my left eye. I'm like, oh, you know, what's going on? And I think hindsight, um, lucky my mum panicked. Um, so the moral of this story is maybe listen to your panicked mum. <laughs> is that she called She called my um, one of the bridesmaids at my wedding, uh, Jenny, and she's an ophthalmologist. She got me in the next day. She's like, Melody keeps losing her eyesight. But it was such a not big event that um, Dave actually took the kids um, hiking in the Blue Mountains. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so like I went to see Jen and my dad took me because I couldn't see very much. But Dave <laughs> hightailed to the Blue Mountains because it wasn't a big deal. It was like, okay, my eyesight's blurry. It's not like, you know. So anyway, um, I go see Jenny and she does like hours of testing and she comes back to me and she goes, Mel, your eyes are perfect. There's nothing wrong with your eyes. I'm like, yeah. She's like, no. <laughs> She's like, there's only one other option if it's not your eyes. And at this point, I had lost 80% of my vision. Um, She's like, it's your brain. And then she's like, you need to have a brain MRI right now. I think you may actually be having an aneurysm. Mm. Obviously, she wasn't giving me a diagnosis. She's like, something is seriously wrong. So the receptionist called around everywhere and find me at 6 o'clock at night, a MRI place. I went for an MRI, took the results back to Jenny and there was this big lump in my brain between my eyes and my ears. No, I, in my ear, yeah, uh, yeah. a tumour. And it looked like it was a tumour. She's like, Mel, we need to get this. So anyway, people are calling Dave. He comes out of the Blue Mountains. <laughs> Poor Dave. Finally had reception. Yeah, to like 700 missed calls. Like, Mel's got a brain tumour. Oof. Anyway, so um, I get into a uh, – the next day I got into a um, – what are they called? Neurosurgeon. He was really nice, actually. Hans, he was lovely. He was, really, he was a nice person. Like, I'm glad he was nice. He was lovely. He looked at the MRI and goes, actually, I can fix this. This is not a big deal. Um, I mean, it's in my brain, so it's a deal, but it's not like, you know. 
And he goes, um, some steroids, I think it's just like an inflamed gland or I can't exactly remember what he said. Well, as I was sitting, I was talking to him and he had put me at ease and everything was okay. He gets a phone call and he answers it and he goes, yeah, she's with me at the moment. I'm like, what's the problem? And um, so you have to understand, I had got my MRI um, when the radiologist had gone home. So no one had actually read the radiology report. It was just the MRIs I had seen. And none of them who, like Jenny's not a radiologist, the neurologist's not a radiologist, like, you know, that's their job, I think, just to read MRI things. Anyway, she's like, uh, she's got lesions on her brain. She needs to go to hospital. Like, and he just looked and his whole face fell. So I didn't even know what she was saying. And he just looked and he goes, what are you talking about? And then he looks at me and goes, oh, my goodness, I can see that. He hung up and he goes, you need to walk across the road to the ED right now, St. George Hospital, you just, you just need to go. And I'm like, I'm fine. He goes, no, you're not. <laughs> you need to go. I said, well, can I go to Bankstown Hospital because it's close. And he goes, if you were my sister, I would pick you up and walk you across. I'm calling the ED now. I'm letting them know you're coming. Um, it's actually really, really serious. It's so serious that he didn't charge me. <laughs> Does that ever happen? No, Obviously. No. Obviously it does. <laughs> I didn't know that no, part of the story. Didn't, I didn't remember that. He was just like, I'm like, I've got a pig. He no, you just need to go to hospital. Could you stop and just walk across the road, please? Um, and so this is just a PS. For anybody who ever gets blood work done, MRIs and anything like that, if you're worried about the results and no one's called you, don't worry. <laughs> it's only when they track you down should you actually start to be concerned. So anyway, go over to the road and by the time I'd actually got there, I'd actually started to lose movement down my right side or left side, one of the left sides. Side. Um, I was slur- slurring my speech chronically and it was it was actually pretty bad. Mm. So yeah, so and then they diagnosed me with MS. I was there in hospital for a while and then yes. from then on it was just recovery and learning to live with it. Um, <laughs> okay, well... <laughs> There was also a few other things, like, for instance, at this point, my brain really, really wasn't working. And um, I felt that halfway through my hospital visit, I needed to have Japanese food. You did. (laughs) I unfortunately happened to be the person that was there at the time. And I'm a rule follower, Melody. Can you begin to understand how uncomfortable I was at breaking you out of hospital to go and get Japanese food? But also, it's not just breaking me out of hospital. It was the whole situation regarding it. So in the neurology ward, there's this gate, okay, and there's four numbers to get out of the gate. Those four numbers don't change, and they're on the side of the wall, but I could never, because my brain wasn't working, work out how to get out of this gate. (laughs) I think that was half of the test. They're just like, until you can remember that the numbers are on the wall, you can't leave a neurology ward. (laughs) So I'm leaving this neurology ward with Michelle because at this point she's all like, Whatever you need, Mel. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So you have to understand, okay, I'm in my pyjamas. It's the middle of summer. I'm not the smallest person. So I'm going to suggest that I'm not, like, tiny. Um, And I had a singlet top on, no bra, pyjama bottoms, and a live cannula in my arm. Could barely walk and had an eye patch on because I couldn't see out of my eye. The thing that's... um. Well, I'm not the friend that you rely on when you're asking me, am I walking out and breaking out of hospital in style? Like, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't see that. I'll just go, yeah, let's go and get some food. Yes. You need to put a bra on? That's not me. I wouldn't do that. And I thank you for that. Um, 
in future, you need to let me know. Okay? So I'm just, I, I now know. You now know. It doesn't matter that your friend looks like she's dying. You'd be like, hey, what about some underwear? Just before we walk through Gogra with a live cannula in your arm. Oh, that's right, you had the eye patch too. Yes, and the eye patch. Um, I don't even know how we got served to the Japanese. Actually, I was stepping out in style. I'm sure I had some delightful outfit on. I wonder if the Japanese restaurant are the ones who called the hospital because we got a phone call saying, where are you? I've heard you left the hospital. I wonder if they saw the the cannula mug, the pyjamas, the eye patch and went, have you got someone who's just escaped hospital? You never know. It was a lovely meal though. It was actually really good Japanese, I remember Exactly that. what you needed. It was exactly what I needed. So yeah, so from there on it was pretty much just, you know, learning to live with this. I had to, it took a long time to get my eyesight back. Um, it was a while before I could I had to do a lot of rehab in the pool just to try and get movement back. Um, coming off the drugs. <laughs> I was just about to say that. Not easy. Oh my gosh, the drugs. So I was on, I think I ended up with 1,500 milligrams of prednisone just to bring the inflammation in my brain down. And um, coming off that, do you remember the paranoia? Mm. Do you remember me making Dave buy stuff for wheels for car because I thought our trailer was going to run into a bank somewhere accidentally? (laughs) Yeah, there was some anxiety. Yeah. Is that what we're calling it now? I don't know. Not pure and utter panic. Yeah. <laughs> just some anxiety. Yeah. yeah. It was it was a full on time. So Michelle has been through it all with me. Yeah. Fast forward a few years mm. and um I think life is okay. So I think that this this is actually what this uh, podcast is about, how you know, I think you can still find joy and laughter and stuff funny in the middle of trauma because as much as we laugh about it, it it's a very traumatic thing and it has absolutely changed my life. Um, I have had to realise that I have um, just – I don't have the ability that I used to have to do things. I I can't do stuff. Like the chronic fatigue is overwhelming. Um, And now as I'm getting worse, a little bit worse, not being able to read things and I can still see perfectly everyone so don't all stress – um, it's more my eyes don't track. And it's just, it's living with this, like, debilitating disability <laughs> and trying to live with it well. Mm. But also it's the changing nature of it as well. Yeah. That today it's like this, but tomorrow it might look like that. Yeah. And getting used to each change. Yeah, and I mourn, and I think that's a really important thing is that I actually mourn um, each loss of function. Mm. And I think that's really important you can have a positive attitude and you can be like, yay, whatever. But it's really you need to be able to sit and mourn. Mm. You need to acknowledge that this is unfair. It's painful. It's hard on the family. It's a not a fun disease at all. Um, and I've mourned it so when I started to lose my ability to read because I loved reading. I would read. I'd have a book in my bag at all times. Probably two. Probably two, yeah, I know. <laughs> I loved reading. A pile of books by your bed. I did, yeah. Where mm. you are more a Kindle person. Yes. I am a, I have to have the cover, I need to turn the page. So I've read so many books. But um, that was a big thing going from that to audio. 
um, and just thankful that we live in a time where there's audio books, like, yay. Um, so I mourned that. I sat and I mourned that and I acknowledged that it was unfair and it wasn't okay and this is painful. And then I'm like, okay, let's go. And when I started to have pain in different areas, I just, you have to sit and you have to mourn it. But I think that the big thing, and I think this is um, what I think, I feel the common denominator will be around people who tell their stories is yes, they mourn it. Yes, they acknowledge that it's unfair. Yes, they're like, man, life just sucks at the moment. Mm -hmm. Like there's no way, there's no spiritual term that's going to make up for how hard life is right now. And it's okay to sit and be sad and to be upset and angry. It's sort of like, you know, I'm going to build a beautiful tent in my sorrow and my hurt it's going to be like five-star tent. It's going to be like air-conditioned because MS, I need air conditioning. <laughs> um, it's going to I – it's going to have my cuddle pillow. Like it's going to be there. I'm going to have a tent. But I'm just – I'm not going to build my McMansion there, mm. if that makes sense. Like I can have a moment of this is unfair, this isn't fun, this isn't okay. But then you're like, okay, let's move to the other side. And you know what? If I didn't have MS um, – well, actually, I'm trying to think if I didn't have MS, I wouldn't have met the people that I've met. I, I genuinely wouldn't because I didn't have time. Mm, it's true. You worked really hard. Yeah, I was constantly working. Um, and I, I have time now for people that I just genuinely did not have before. Mm. Like I can meet with people now and have coffee and have chats and listen to their worlds and their stories because my days aren't that busy. Like we have a company and when I can work, I work. But if I can't work, I've just had to acknowledge that I can't do stuff anymore. Like I can't do the amount of things that I did before. Mm. And I think that once you acknowledge that and that also I feel may be a common denominator for people who will be speaking in the next little while around like on my podcast is that once you acknowledge what's going on, there is a certain amount of freedom. It's like, okay, well, I can't do this. I have this disability and a disability. I've been registered by the Australian government as having a chronic, like a severe disability. There's no way around it. <laughs> like, so I think that there is a certain amount of um, freedom that comes with it. And also, yeah, go. I was just going to say, if you would, like you said, allow yourself to do, to grieve. Yeah. Sit in your tent for a while. Yeah. And that's okay. I feel a lot of people may feel that they're not allowed to grieve or that if they grieve their loss or the trauma or, the, you know, what's going on, they're less than or they're not positive. Or, no, and also the whole, oh, there's always someone worse off than you. Absolutely there is. Hmm. But in that moment, no. You, you just need to grieve and say, actually, this, this hurts. My whole world has changed. This affects my family. Um, I think I could do the pain. It's the chronic fatigue and the shaking and the lack of uh, reading and dropping. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Don't let Mel get anything out of the oven. Oh, my gosh. I drop everything. You do. I knock over everything. I have zero depth perception. <laughs> okay, just to give you an idea. I was sitting with my parents for coffee today at our shop and I was just going over like my computer. I was just showing him and my dad's in stitches because I'd knocked over the cord. I dropped the thing. I put my coffee somewhere. He goes, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, welcome to my world. And because I don't have, like I've got a 20 second delay sometimes. 
So like this brain fog and delay. So something happens and I'm all like, oh, no, no, no. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, why am I just, I cut my finger at work. So I've been banned from knives. Because while most people will cut themselves or burn themselves, their brain will say, abort, abort, abort. My brain's like, oh, how you doing? What you doing? Are you all right? Ten seconds later, abort. But at that point, the the brisket knife's gone the whole way into my finger and I've got five stitches. Like it would have been helpful if my brain had said 15 seconds before, abort. Yeah, that would have been handy. Yeah, so things like that I've had to become used to. I can't get that upset about dropping everything anymore. Looking over. Just, I just can't. People shoving you out of the way. No, Mel. No, yes, I'll yes, do it. Yes, please let me do it. I know you want to help, but please, please let me do it. I feel it's not helping. Like, am I not helping? You're like, could we just do it for you, please? <laughs> oh, so I think that 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 has taken a lot because it's a profit thing. It's say I can't do stuff. Like mm. I am a forty-five-year-old, super cute. I'm just putting that in. Okay? Super cute and, and super think, super able to do lots. Yes, and I'm saying super cute because it's a podcast and I want to actually see it. <laughs> so you super, have to believe me. You are super cute. Yeah, you have to believe me. Um, and I just I've had to just be like I can't do stuff. I can't. And also I've had to stop myself thinking about the future. Like everyone's got these five and ten year plans. I've got like a three-day plan, if I remember. (laughs) I don't remember what I did yesterday. Like I genuinely got nothing. Brain fog and MS is just full on. So um, I've had to just not hold down this whole what's my next five years look like because the reality of it it is it may not look pretty. So do you know what I noticed about you though, Mel, is that you absolutely live each day to the best that you can. You show up whenever you are able to, you know? Yeah, and I think that that's a um, – I've learned to do it whenever I'm able to. Yeah. And if I can't, I just be like, I can't. I can't do this. Like it's – I'm in too much pain. Like when I was trying new meds, like I um, started new medication three six weeks ago holy moly Mm. I had to walk against walls just to stand up and just to acknowledge that you know what it's hard Mm. it's it's just hard and it will get better well no no won't (laughs) but my body will be get used to the medication so yeah um I think that that's pretty much my story I don't really have anything else do I don't know you have lots do I yeah about done i still have ms <laughs> i was thinking like if everyone's listening going so are you done is it finished you have not ms anymore i still have ms my life looks so different now than it did even three years ago i was able to hold down a part-time job and run our company with my husband but now it's just i can't do it i can't do it Coda's in the background, in case anybody's wondering. That's I'm at Michelle's house, and Coda is here now. Co- Michelle and I actually, I'm just putting this in the podcast because it's my podcast, so I can. <laughs> but we are finally related because our puppies are half brother and sister. Yeah. Hi, Hi, Coda. So um, yes, and Michelle's the one who always looks after Dallas when we go on holidays and we have Coda. So. Yeah. So anyway, guys, thanks for tuning in today. These podcasts aren't going to be hugely long, I don't feel. Like I just, I want to encourage people with, um, you can be living in the middle of stuff, but still find joy. Like Michelle and I still laugh about stuff. 
we we laugh a lot now nine times out of ten it is at my expense and i understand oh, that oh yeah maybe <laughs> <laughs> I'm walking alongside you, not yes. at you. Yes, you're laughing with me, with not at you. me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but you need to be able to laugh. You need to be able to find joy in the middle of circumstances. You need to be able to um, acknowledge that life is unfair, but regardless, you can still find joy. And I think that that has been my biggest thing that I've learned. Um, my relationship with God has definitely changed because um, I used to be so busy and now I have time and I sit with him and he talks to me and I talk to him and, and he gives me the strength to get through, um, especially um, anxiety is a huge thing with MS. Like my anxiety, my panic attacks are epic, like epic. Um, I'm doing better with them now, <clears throat> I think. Please don't ask anybody else. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I think that I, I've loved how God has um, held my hand a lot of the time through this and saying, yeah, I understand I didn't give you MS, but I'm absolutely going to do it with you. Um, I've opened myself up to friends and family. I have so many people I do life with, like so many people. I do not live this insular life of disability. I just don't. There's no way around it. I have people who get next to me daily and do life with me and encourage me. And I think that that's what I want to encourage people with. Yes, just say you're listening, you're hearing today and you're like, I have a disability or I have something going on. And you feel like you need to isolate yourself from people or you can't be real or authentic. And I understand that you can only be real and authentic with special people that make you feel safe. And I understand that. But once you acknowledge who those people are, um, just be real and allow yourself to live this life of thriving and fun and joy regardless of the whirlwind of the circumstances of your disability or whatever's going on. You know the saying there's light at the end of the tunnel? I kind of feel that you don't have to wait to the end of the tunnel. I think you can have your party in the middle of the tunnel. Huh. And I think that that's what I want to encourage people with today. So, Michelle, thank you for coming. Actually, <laughs> I came you to did, you. You did come to me. I made you. <laughs> I even made it set up the microphone and we've had to share a microphone because I couldn't quite work out what was going on with the other one. So, um, But you did it. Did Look at this. Or did you do it? I thought you did it. <laughs> <laughs> I helped. You did help. That's right. Yeah. But we got it done and I got my first podcast in. So, guys, have a wonderful day, a rest of your day, and thank you so much for tuning in. Bye.